do reflect on it together. Dear God, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And we pray now that as we hear it, you will help our hearts and minds to be open to receive it. And we pray for Dudley. We thank you for the preparation that he's put in and we pray that you will take what he has, been prepared, what he has prepared and by your Holy Spirit that you will bring your word alive in each one of our hearts. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be, hope, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a, precious, a, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and, rock, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you, were not received, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you. Please keep your Bibles open at that passage. Um, I just want to deal with a, a small distraction that uh, I know most of you are thinking, where is he from? And uh, well, uh, you're probably all guessing South Africa. Well, uh, I'm not. I'm from Zimbabwe, and I'm proud to be able to tell you that. Yes. So with that out of the way, um, we were in Greece recently, uh, and uh, I was in a store. Uh, gift store with my wife, um, looking at a rack of semi-precious stones, crystals. And I was reading the marketing blurbs for these different stones, and uh, I think the one I was reading was about lapis lazuli, and, and, and I, was at, I was struck at the impossibly comprehensive claims that were being made for health and well-being, uh, that, that uh, purchasing these stones and having them near you, having them uh, with you in some way, uh, would, would, would give to you. Um, and, uh, but at the same time, so I actually laughed out loud, and people looked at me, um, what's, he, what's he laughing at? But at the same time, I was struck with, with a real sense of sadness at the extent to which so many people are clearly captive to these claims. In fact, back in June 2019, the Guardian newspaper had an article about this phenomenon and the meteoric rise of these crystals in popularity in Western society. In three short years, the article said, Crystals have risen from niche New Age interest to valid hobby, firmly embedded in the mainstream consciousness. In 2017, crystals became a multi-billion dollar slice of the $4.2 trillion 
dollar global wellness industry with shamans. Shamans are people who claim to have uh, influence in the, in the realm of the spirits. With shamans using them to advise entrepreneurs on investment opportunities and Gwyneth Paltrow selling them to encourage serenity and to purify water. Their investment status is compared to fine art. It's claimed crystals help people harness the, the energy of the earth and the belief in the healing power of crystals is a kind of faith. An understandable choice, the writer goes on to say, in a time when people report feeling ever more critical of experts and facts, keen for a release from technology, disconnected from traditional systems of care, and desperate for something shiny that might save them. Desperate for something shiny that might save them. Interesting choice of words by the Guardian journalist. These crystals, these living stones that are believed to share their life and energy with people, desperate for salvation from the meaninglessness and emptiness of life without God, couldn't be more at variance with the living stone and the living stones that we read about earlier in this passage. But before we come to, uh, to that, let's, let's, let's put our passage in context. The Apostle Peter uh, is, is writing to believers scattered across what, what is now Turkey, these are people uprooted by persecution and pressure because of their commitment to follow Jesus, who knew the, of the hardship and temptations of a refugee lifestyle, who knew the instability and uncertainty of life in a world that was hostile to Christianity. He writes to encourage them with a reminder of the great gospel, this treasure of which we've talked about already, that they have embraced and are suffering for. And in the light of all that, he reminds them and us that they are to be holy people, People who love one another deeply from the heart because they and we have tasted that the Lord and his gospel is good. So that brings us to, to this passage. And in this passage, Peter talks about two things. First of all, the identity of Jesus as the living stone. And then secondly, the role of believers as living stones in a living church. The identity of Jesus as a living stone and, the and, and our role as believers as living stones in the living church. But before we get there, Peter rather obviously and, and importantly talks immediately about how it is that we become living stones in a living church in the first place. It is, he says, in the first few words of this passage, as you come to him, the living stone. And it's critical at this point to pause and ensure that we really hear what he's saying. He's saying that we don't become a living stone by coming to a living church merely, we become part of the living church by coming to Christ first, the living stone. I don't get life, in other words, from, from coming to church and hanging out with Christians, no matter how vibrant and faithful and godly they may be. That doesn't make me a Christian. It's a classic misunderstanding of the nature of being a Christian. Coming to church, singing in the choir, reading my Bible, praying all good things in and of themselves cannot change my heart. As singer-songwriter Keith Green wrote, famously wrote in one of his songs that I used to sing as a student many, many years ago, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> I need to come to Christ, the living, Christ, the living stone first who then makes me one of his living stones. In John 5, it's interesting, John say, uh, Jesus says to the, the religious leaders of his day, if you study the scriptures, diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
You go to places of worship, he's saying to them, you, you hear God's word taught and expounded and you, and you try to put that in practice and that, and you think that, that that's all enough, but you fail, you refuse to come to me, he says, to have eternal life. And Peter's reminding his readers, begging his readers, begging us not to make the same elementary mistake, made, the, made, the mistake that was made by these religious people in the time of Jesus, of confusing coming to the living church as being the same is coming to the living Christ. So, have you trusted in Him who stood in your place and at the cross bore the wrath of God for your failures to obey God's law? Who was condemned so that you would not be condemned? Who, in place of your disobedience, covered you with His obedience? Who paid the price to ransom you from sin and death that you might go free? Who rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and has gone there to prepare a place for us? forever alongside him have you done that i'm not asking if you believe these things are true if you if, if you have then you have more than just if, if you have i'm asking if, if you know them to be true of you personally and so if you have you have more than just come to a living church you have come to a living stone in the living church and so you can sense Peter's delight in this theme of Christ as the living stone as he connects it with the three Old Testament passages uh, that we read, had read to us as well. The, that Jesus, this Jesus who called Peter the rock is himself described as a rock, the, the living stone. And Peter loves to look at Jesus as a kind of precious stone and, 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 and to turn the stone around and examine him from all his glorious facets. Looking at the wonder of his grace. He speaks about him, for example, in verse 6, as the cornerstone. And in verse 7, as the rejected stone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church upon whom the whole building of God's whole building depends. Goes back to the words of Jesus himself. One of the most illuminating parables Jesus ever told was that of the, the wicked tenants. In it, he told how the wicked tenants killed servant after servant and then even murdered the son of the absentee landlord. He was showing how the nation of Israel had again and again listened, refused to listen to the prophets and had persecuted, to them, persecuted them and how this refusal was to reach its climax in his own death. But beyond his own death, he saw the triumph and he told of that triumph in words taken from Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. That in its original context was a reference to the nation of Israel. The powers of this world flung it aside as being useless, but that God had destined it for the most honorable and important place in the building of his kingdom in the world. And so Jesus took these words and applied them to himself. It looked as if he had been utterly rejected. But in the purpose of God, he was the cornerstone of the structure of the kingdom, honored above all. And then he takes it a stage further. He says that not, not only is he a, a rejected stone, he becomes in fact a stumbling stone for those who refuse to believe. But to us, he believe, but to us who believe, he says, by way of contrast in verse 6 and 7, Jesus Christ is God's precious and chosen stone. So he's really giving us the whole picture of Jesus in terms of his identity as God's stone, as God's rock. God had sent him to be the cornerstone of all his purposes in history. 
to be the savior of mankind. And people came along in the case of Jesus' contemporaries, the Pharisees and leaders uh, of Israel, religious leaders of Israel, multitudes of others too. They came along and they looked at the stone and they said, that is not the stone. They tested the stone. And as Peter says, they rejected the stone. That cannot be God's stone, they were saying. And having rejected the stone, they discovered to their amazement that it is God, the master mason's stone, on which he intends to build salvation for mankind. And they hear that it is so because Jesus gets raised from the dead and declares by his resurrection that the rejected stone is in fact the cornerstone of God's purposes. But these... These builders, as they move around in their spiritual darkness in this world, still cannot find anything in the stone, and it becomes to them a stone of stumbling and a rock that makes them fall. And they stumble over it, verse 8, by disobeying the message of the gospel. And they find themselves rejected by the stone, which they themselves had first rejected. And so Peter, as he addresses the the Jewish religious religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, the same ones who put Jesus on the cross, He reminds them that in their religious wisdom, they had rejected the stone. And now it had become the cornerstone. Jesus raised from the dead and the one alone in whom salvation is found. And Peter turns to his readers, to us, and he says, the real evidence that Jesus has not become a stumbling block to you is that you think of him in exactly the same way as his heavenly father thinks of him. While to God this stone is chosen and precious, We too are able to say in verse 7 that this stone is precious. For Peter, that is the real test as to whether we have simply come to a living church as observers or whether we have been built into that living church as living stone believers in Jesus. It all hangs on on the answer to this question. What does Jesus Christ mean to you and me? Are we able to say that Jesus Christ is so precious to us that nothing by comparison ranks in the value I place on the one whom men rejected, but whom God has exalted and glorified. The great missionary pioneer C.T. Studd once said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice that I can make can be too great for him. Well, how marvelous it is to hear all this from Peter, who had boasted, Jesus You are more precious to me than anything. I will give my life up for you. And you remember how Jesus had to cut him down to size and ask him, Simon, do you really love me more than these? Am I really as precious to you as you have professed? And so by God's grace, he was eventually brought to this place by the chiseling of the master mason until he was able to say that there was nothing and no one more preeminent in his life than Jesus Christ. The great Renaissance artist and sculptor Michelangelo was once asked how he carved his magnificent statue of David, the young King David before he became king, which is an acknowledged masterpiece. And he reputedly reputedly replied, I looked inside this block of marble and I simply removed the bits that weren't David. Beautiful picture of God bringing us from that old creation to the new, shaping us, chiseling us, more and more as living stones in the image of the living stone. It's painful, but the end result is beautiful. Well, now Peter speaks to us about the role we have as believers in the context of the living church. He tells us several, several things. First of all, that we are a community. We're likened to living stones and the church 
to a living house, verse 5, into which these living stones are built, which means that Christianity is community. Individual Christians find their true place only when they are built into that structure. Solitary religion is ruled out as an impossibility. As long as a stone lies by itself, it is useless. It becomes of use only when it's incorporated into the building. So it is with individual Christians. To achieve our destiny, we must not remain alone, but must be built into the fabric of the church, find our place in the church. But the onus can't just be on me as individual Christian Joe, Christian to find my place, to carve out my place in the community of faith. Far from it. No, the community is to look for those who are new to faith, new to church, and work hard with the master builder himself to help them find their place, their calling to work in the building of his church. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3 reminds us that the barriers have been removed. So we need to act in line with the truth that there are no longer ethnic barriers, no longer barriers based on uh, social differences, economic differences, religious differences, gender differences. One of the great tragedies of the church in the West in particular has been its growing inability to, to really practice sacrificial community. What do I mean by that? Well, we're conditioned in countless ways in our culture to think and act as individuals only, not as members of any body or, or, or group. Unlike those who've gone before us in the faith, we are conditioned to be deeply afraid of what I call covenant, co covenant, coven, covenantal relationships. Yeah, covenant in the sense of we, we make deep and abiding commitments to one another. The Bible tells us we were built for these covenantal relationships. We want and need to have other, pe other persons unconditionally, unselfishly committed to us and we to them. Christian th theology, of course, tells us that we are made in the image of a God who is a trinity, who is triune. Jesus said he never did anything, said anything, or accomplished anything apart from his Father. The persons of the trinity are absolutely one. Each person of the trinity does everything with and for the others. So we were meant to live like that. Sin, of course, makes all human community very difficult and often painful. But the kind of community Peter is talking about must nonetheless be the goal. Weaker community, of course, can be created by a common interest such as a hobby, a sports team, a musical genre. Strong community comes together around deep beliefs and causes or powerful common experience like going through a flood or a battle together and surviving. There have been several films about some group of misfits who are extremely different in all kinds of different ways. But then they are thrown together in this, in this uh, life or death struggle and they come out the other end. And, the, and as a result, there's this deep permanent bond, sometimes stronger than blood. And when Christians experience Christ's radical grace, which we celebrated uh, this morning, when we experience Christ's radical grace through repentance and faith, it becomes the most intense foundational event of our lives. When we meet someone then from a different culture, race, gender, or social class, but who has experienced like us the same grace of Jesus Christ through the gospel, we don't see the differences first because we are looking at someone who has been through the same life and death situation as we have. Since the New Testament reminds us over and over again, 
that we have both spiritually died and been raised to new, new life. And because of this common experience of grace, now a deeper identity marker than our family, our race, gender or culture, when we come together, we find that we fit. Living stones being built together into a spiritual house, as Peter says. Like stones that already have been perfectly shaped by the mason, the builder fits each next to, a, to, to each other and they become a solid and a beautiful temple. When we speak to, other, to others who know God's grace, we see their identity is now rooted more in who they are in Christ than in their family or class or gender or, or ethnic group. As a result, we sense a bond that, that overcomes those things, that outside of Christ, we're insurmountable barriers, insurmountable barriers to our relationships. Jesus Christ has knocked those barriers down. So, hard as it is to build strong community, especially in our time and place, we have tremendous resources to build that community. And how does that happen? How do we grow together as Christians in strong community? How do the rough edges get knocked off? How does God shape our lives? How does God go on building His church? Well, this process of being shaped and formed takes place, according to Peter, as you, plural, come to him, the living stone. What he's referring to here is not that initial point of conversion or when we become Christians. Peter uses the continuous tense in the Greek here. It could be translated as you as a community keep coming to him. You are being built into this spiritual house. And so it is as we keep coming to Christ in community with one another. Looking to Him, keeping in line with Him, in line with His words, spending time together in prayer and meditation that we are shaped and built as God intends. So, Christianity is community. Christians are in a community. We are also priests, he reminds us in verse 5. As we become members of Christ and members of His living church, we are to be called priests. We are called priests, offering sacrifices to the Lord. In the Old Testament... There were two different types of sacrifices. There were uh, sacrifices to remove the guilt of sin, and then sacrifices of thankfulness given to the Lord because sin had been removed. Jesus, of course, fulfilled the first of those priestly ministries by his full and sufficient sacrifice on the cross. But in response to that, But in response to that sacrifice that Jesus made, the people of God are constantly called to bring their sacrifices of thankfulness and praise to Him. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God, which are holy and pleasing to Him, Romans 12. But in this context, Peter is particularly concerned to address what we do when we gather together as living stones, as we're doing this morning. As we become the temple of the Lord. In our worship, we are all like priests, bringing our sacrifices of thankfulness and praise into His presence. And we want Him to have everything. We want to love Him with all of our beings, with all our soul, mind, and strength. As we come together in His presence to bring Him the praise that He is due. And so, and so He says of the many ways in which we, we think of ourselves as we gather together, He says we are in a great assembly of priests bringing our lives, our lips, our hearts, bringing our energies, our resources to Him. And we are saying, Lord, receive our praises because You are worthy of them. The psalmist speaks of the Lord enthroned 
on the praises of his people. We are longing that as we wait on him together and worship and praise, we would feel the weight of his glory come among us. And so we're called as living stones to be priests offering sacrifices. We're also called to be a people for God, especially to possess, especially possess a special possession of God. Those of you who watch the Antiques Roadshow may remember back in March 2019 that the show featured a man by the name of David Rose who worked at a garbage dump for 15 years before one day uncovering a real treasure buried in the trash. Out of the, out of the garbage, David Rose pulled out a top hat, a cigar, and a collection of letters. He presented the items on, on, the, on, the, road, on the Antiques Roadshow and learned that they, they used to belong to none other than the Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Winston Churchill. And a specialist valued his fines at over 13,000 pounds. And of course, he wasn't willing to reveal where he had found the memorabilia, which rubbish dump it had been in. But Christians are a people for God specially to possess, verse 9. It frequently happens, as in the case of Winston Churchill, that the value of a thing lies in the fact that someone famous has possessed it. A very ordinary thing acquires a whole new value if it has been possessed by some great celebrity or historical figure. So it's the same with us as Christians. We may be very ordinary people, but we acquire a whole new value because we belong to God. Do we regard one another with that same value? Do we regard ourselves with that same value? Understanding this, I believe, would transform the way we, the way we view ourselves and the way we treat one another. We are also, uh, Peter goes on to say, heralds of the gospel. S uh, still in verse 9, we are called to be heralds, declaring his praises to others. Now as we, as we gather, we are not only offering praises to God, but we are saying to one another and to the world outside, He is worthy of our praises. Let me tell you why He is worthy of my, of my, of my praises. Because He has called me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Peter is saying that when we have brought, be brought out of our spiritual darkness into the light of seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, we want to trumpet it to the nations. The language he actually uses here means that we're being called to declare the perfections of God, his attributes, his character. What he means is that our life together as living stones gathered around this cornerstone built on Jesus Christ, our life together is essential for us in order that the grace of Christ that's manifested in each of us may be brought together so that men and women who don't know Christ may feel the full impact of his character upon them as together we demonstrate in our lives how he has been gracious to us, how his saving power has brought us together so that we, we're all needed to be built into this living, living church as living stones so that those who have no Bible, no way of knowing Christ, may catch some sense of the perfections of God because they see them reflected in the fellowship we have here with one another. I always remember when my wife and I took a team of fellow Christians to proclaim the gospel amongst the Muslim people in, in a remote part of northern Mozambique. Uh, we went in, um, a Mozambican family, American family, British family, some single guys. We went to live amongst them for two years to learn their language and to demonstrate Christ to them what it was to, to live out the Christian life and the impact that we were able to have. They'd never seen that before. 
Finally, we are a people conscious of having received mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had received mercy, but now you have. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the most important thing of all. This will show us to be, in the last analysis, a living church to a dying world. That we ourselves are conscious and of it, and our very beings express the fact that we are sinners saved only by grace, that we are not strong and powerful people, but needy people, and yet needy people who have received the mercy that other needy people need, and it always comes to expression in the life of a believer by that mystery which the world cannot understand. That on the one hand, we are people most deeply conscious of our sinfulness and of our need, and therefore have been humbled under the mighty hand of God, and yet simultaneously, we are men and women of dignity and poise and freedom and joy because we have received and know the tender mercy of our Heavenly Father. And so Peter is saying to us that not only Christ, not only is Christ a many-faceted stone, but to us who believe, the living church into which he has brought us is also a many-faceted and in God's eyes beautiful stone. And he's building us together into a glorious temple. Isn't that Amazing, infinitely precious. And isn't it true of you because you have come to Christ, the living stone? Let's pray together. O God, who in Jesus Christ, the living stone, calls us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, and made us living stones of your living church, Enable us always to declare your wonderful deeds, to thank you for your steadfast love, and to praise you with heart, soul, mind, and strength, now and forever. Amen.